Hello, and welcome to the Frontier Strategy Group podcast series. FSG is the leading information services provider for emerging market executives. We partner with business leaders at over 200 multinationals by providing them with proprietary research, analytical tools, and data that help power their emerging market business strategies. The focus of today's podcast is a discussion with FSG's lead sub-Saharan African analyst, Anna Rosenberg, about her recent research trip to West Africa. My name is Richard Leggett, and I'm the CEO of Frontier Strategy Group, and Anna's joining me today from FSG's London office. As a reminder, this research and all of our content is available via our portal at portal.frontierstrategygroup.com or via your FSG client iPad application. Anna, welcome. Thanks, Rich. Pleasure talking to you today. I have to say I've been looking forward to this discussion, having uh, followed your travel journals. And maybe to set the stage, you could provide us with a quick overview of your trip. It was a fascinating trip. And uh, maybe just highlight your itinerary, uh, the types of meetings, the type of people you were meeting with. Sure. So I, as you mentioned, I went to West Africa for about 10 days. I went to Nigeria and Ghana specifically. And I went because of the request of our clients. Most of them are very curious about expanding in the West Africa region, and they want to understand the region a little bit better. So I had a pretty action-packed agenda. I think I had about 25 meetings in that time frame. I met a lot of our clients who are on the ground. I met representatives from local businesses. I met representatives from international multinationals and a, a bunch of distributors as well as journalists on the ground. That's an amazing uh, cross-section of the ecosystem, so to speak. I want to dig into each country in a moment, but uh, maybe to whet our appetite, is there a quick headline that you wish to share for each uh, of the countries you visited? Well, Nigeria is all about opportunity and a real palpable sense of entrepreneurial spirit in, in, in the people, really. And, and Ghana couldn't be more different right now because it is at present in a deep economic recession. Okay, and, and I guess we can't talk about Africa uh, without talking about the proverbial elephant in the room, which is while you were in the region, that was right as Nigeria had just reported its first case of Ebola. Uh, and today, West Africa counts about 2,000 deaths from this horrible disease. Could you provide some clarity into the situation? Yes, so it seems that Patrick Sawyer, the Liberian-American who brought Ebola to Nigeria, landed in Lagos around the same time that I did. So I was on the ground when the disease hit the country, and I can tell you locals were extremely worried. However, I think now that some time has passed, businesses must clearly differentiate the facts from the fear to assess how the disease is actually impacting their West Africa operations. So let me first clearly define which countries have been impacted, because in the media it typically says West Africa and there's no further definition. The disease has primarily affected um, three small markets within West Africa. Those are Guinea, Liberia, and Sierra Leone. They are small and poor economies, and the governments have unfortunately not been able to deal with the outbreak effectively to date. So up, up to today, I think the, the three countries count uh, for the majority of the 2,000 deaths. Senegal, which is further to the north, has only reported one death, and Nigeria has reported about seven. And it's important to highlight that within Nigeria, where the disease broke out in Lagos State, the government has been very effective in trying to contain the spread of the disease. And many people who had been infected have been released successfully after treatment. But now what we're seeing is that Ebola has also spread to river states in Nigeria, and we'll have to see how effective the government is going to be there in that state in trying to tackle the, the disease any further. 
I think it's important to try to shed some light into the economic repercussions uh, of the disease in the region, and especially on the three largest economies uh, where we know that our clients are uh, present and heavily invested, which are Nigeria, Ghana, and the Ivory Coast. Could you maybe elaborate for us? Sure. So by now, I think we clearly see economic repercussions. And and generally on West Africa, trade and hospitality is worst affected. On Sierra Leone, Liberia and Guinea, the impact will be severe. Sierra Leone may even see 4% of its GDP growth cut off, while the Liberian government um, estimates that it may lose about 30 million US dollars to fighting the disease. And within those three countries, the worst hit sectors are going to be agriculture, services and mining. And we have a few clients of ours who are actually working in the mining sector, and they, they can confirm that some activity is really on hold right now. And it's really dramatic because both Sierra Leone and Liberia were doing very well economically recently in the last couple of years after they emerged from civil conflict. And Ebola will unfortunately throw them back a couple of years again, which is a real shame. Now, when we look at the biggest economy in the region, Nigeria, the panic over the outbreak is estimated to cost the country about $2 billion this quarter because aviation, hospitality and tourism and trade will be most impacted. So, for example, we know that restaurant visits within Lagos are down by about 50% because people are avoiding crowded places. They're consuming more at home. In Ivory Coast, because the government has closed its borders to Liberia and Guinea, that is going to have an effect on the cocoa trade, which will probably cut down a couple of points from GDP there as well in, in, in this quarter. In Ghana, even though Ghana didn't have to date an Ebola case, and we don't think it will, the impact is less direct. It's more indirect because companies are putting a lot of resources on monitoring the disease, and that is cutting down on productivity in the country. So if we think about it in terms of uh, put your executive hat on for a second and you're uh, in charge of the region for an MNC. How should I think about this? What does it mean for my business? I think businesses should plan for subdued demand in, in their commercial activity generally from businesses and consumers. Because basically what we're seeing and and what this all translates to is that the movement of goods and people is restricted. So that is is what that really means for business at the time being. However, it's not just negative sides to this story. Some sectors as an old crisis also benefit from a crisis. On the one hand, we have seen governments across the region spend a larger than planned part of their 2014-2015 budgets on healthcare and reactive and preventive measures to contain the disease. So companies that are selling materials used for the screening and treatment of the disease will see a spike in sales, as well as companies are selling hand sanitizers and antibacterial soap, for example. But most importantly, it's not only the sectors that are directly linked to Ebola that are necessarily benefiting or suffering. E-commerce is another one that has increased in popularity tremendously in the last couple of months in Nigeria because people are not going out as much anymore. So they're preferring to buy at home from their computers. So that's a trend that is going to be here to stay. Yeah, it strikes me when you talk about people staying at home and and consuming more, not only e-commerce, but if you're in the consumer goods industry, it has implications to your uh, packaging and your distribution in terms of uh, on-premise and off-premise and and how you might think differently about portfolio allocation, at least during this uh, period of, of uncertainty. Absolutely, yes. 
Let's, uh, if we could, talk about the research trip. And not to be pessimistic or negative, but I think it is important to talk a little bit first about the risks. And security concerns always prevalent, but have been worrying investors in Nigeria for a while. And, and I guess, what is, from your most recent trip, the, the opinion about the threat resulting from this security issues and uh, potential terrorist threats? So, yes, I mean, this has been top of mind for many multinationals on the ground, especially and because Islamist group Boko Haram has been much more active in the last couple of months, especially in northern and central Nigeria. They have been there for, for a few years now, but activities have really picked up recently, and that's primarily because we have an election next year. When I spoke to people on the ground, their opinion about the security challenges and their impact on, on business really differ widely. So some are not concerned at all. They think that business continues as usual and the threat will subside after the elections in February. And, and that's because Boko Haram is believed to be sponsored by a few political forces that are keen on influencing election results next year. On the other hand, some business leaders are really troubled by the rising violence because of its underlying dynamics. For example, prices are getting up across the country because most of the country's agricultural produce actually comes from the north and the central areas. So that means that the average Nigerian, what, it, what the average Nigerian earns is not enough anymore to afford this basic good. And so this could also impact the security and crime outside of the affected areas. Yeah, if you can't afford basic food, then it starts to lead to all sorts of, I guess, knock-on potential unrest situations. Yes. What have business leaders told you about how it's impacting their business? And also, I'm curious if they're still as bullish in terms of incremental investment or if it's if it's now a, a bit of a wait and see. Well, I mean, I think by now executives are really used to the situation. Nothing has changed from their end. And the affected areas have been, they have left them a while ago. So it's not necessarily top of mind for them right now, but they obviously vary in terms of how this is going to evolve. But opinions about the impact on the business also vary widely. So let, let me just give you an example. I spoke to a, the owner of a distribution company there who told me that in one of, of their annual sales meeting, one of the local representatives who, who was operating in the north stood up and, and pronounced huge losses due to the instability in the area. But then immediately in response to, in response to what, the, what that guy had told him, Another representative exclaimed that his major customer actually sits in Borno State, which is one of the most affected areas. So that gives you an idea. Some lose and, and some benefit. But generally, the, the businesses that have suffered the most are consumer goods companies. Because, of course, state-imposed curfews in the north mean that people don't go out to buy things again, right? So that has been, by the way, another driver for e-commerce in Nigeria, because there are two reasons now not to go out, insecurity and, and Ebola. However, as I just mentioned, uh, most of our clients are not operating in those regions, and they're operating in southern areas where Boko Haram have not yet been active, and we also don't expect them to be. Let's talk about Ghana for a second, and again, just staying on the theme of risks. You mentioned earlier the country's going through an economic crisis. Could you elaborate? Yes, the country is in a really bad state and, and actually facing a fiscal crunch right now. The currency depreciated 40% this year, is, is the world's worst performing currency. And that, of course, means that consumer and business spending is depressed, and the government just had to approach the IMF for a bailout. You certainly don't want to be the world's worst performing currency. Um, <laughs> it's surprising, though, because Ghana has long been seen as the darling of the West. So what, what, what's gone wrong? Well, in a nutshell... 
bad financial management by the government, too much spending for elections and um, increases in public sector salaries in recent years. And going back further also, um, the government was always planning to diversify the economy, but it never actually got round to do that. So the economy is very dependent on oil and gas as well as gold and cocoa, but has hardly any industry that emphasizes adding value to raw materials. And that is now it's the real underlying issue as well as public spending. Do you see this as a long-term crisis? And if so, what's the path out of it? Well, yes, we do think that it's at least going to last until 2016, and that's because now austerity measures will have to be implemented. For them to take effect, it's going to take at least a year, and then in 2016, we'll also expect additional oil revenue to come online. So I think for the time being, the crisis is here to stay, and businesses are currently in shock mode because they did not foresee this happening as quickly. And so far, Ghana has been a good place to do business. It has a strong and peaceful operating environment, and it had a large and growing middle class. So a lot of businesses are currently um, still hoping to make profits in the market. But when I met with our clients on the ground, I had to readjust the expectations and emphasize that right now, it is much more about protecting market share. So again, as in all crises, we also have opportunities coming out of the situation in Ghana. We've just released a, a report on Ghana, our market spotlight, where executives will find an in-depth analysis of the situation as well as good strategies to, to adopt. All right. Well, given the theme of opportunity, why don't we move away from gloom and doom and risk and and talk a little bit about opportunities? And and so maybe given that you've just released the in-depth report on Ghana, talk a little bit about the opportunities and then I want to shift to to Nigeria. Sure. So... As I mentioned, Ghana doesn't look very good right now internally, but but the country still remains one of the largest in West Africa and it still has a lot of opportunity for multinationals, primarily when it comes to the middle class. Because despite the reduced purchasing power, that middle class is still there and that will not go away. And the country also benefits from its historical legacy as a stable democracy and as an investor-friendly place. And what we think is that that's going to help it get out of the recession fairly quickly. Ghana used to be the main hub for West Africa for multinationals. Now, we are not quite sure if it will remain that hub. It will still be an important place, but if it will be the only place to be in West Africa, that remains to be seen. But we still are bullish about the outlook for Ghana once it gets the situation under control. Well, speaking about being bullish, let's talk a little bit about Nigeria now. So Nigeria is an altogether different story. It is very noticeable when you travel from one country to the next. The country is full of energy and has an intense entrepreneurial dynamic that you can see in each individual, be it a business leader, a taxi driver, or the person selling things on the street. Everyone is really keen to benefit from the country's current boom. And the interesting thing is that the cultural dynamics that underlie this entrepreneurial spirit are really fascinating. And they're largely down to the fact that people have a very strong sense of community. And I spoke to my colleague here that, uh, who heads up our Russia business, and, and she was very surprised how similar what I'm seeing today in Nigeria is to what Russia was in the 1990s. And I think this makes sense because when you compare it in size, Nigeria is to Africa what Russia is to Central and Eastern Europe. And the drivers of that economic boom in Nigeria is primarily the consumer? Yes, it is all about the consumer. And that's because we have 170 million consumers there, and their spending power is growing. So every sector that sells into that consumer is is the right sector to invest in right now. Let me give you an example. Because consumers get wealthier, they, they want better housing to live in. They want more formal retail outlets to shop in. And that fuels the construction sector. There's more demand for financial services, which means we have an increasingly strong financial sector. 
They also want better healthcare and education, which fuels government spending in the sector. Then the government is also building infrastructure to close the infrastructure gap. And with this, I mean roads, railways, bridges, electricity, which drives B2B demand. But at the heart of all this lies the consumer. So it sounds like, uh, essentially, if I listen to what you just said, every single sector essentially would benefit. Are there any that aren't positioned to benefit? I think probably one sector that is not yet benefiting is probably manufacturing right now. And that's because um, Nigeria has a huge problem with electricity. There simply isn't enough. I mean, Lagos Airport is one of the darkest airports um, you probably will ever see. And that's just because the electricity supply is so, so low. And that means that it's very, very expensive to manufacture. And it will take a couple of years for the government to close that gap and add more electricity to the grid. And until then, I think manufacturing is not necessarily the main um, attraction here right now. Infrastructure, obviously a challenge to clients trying to do business across uh, the whole sub-Saharan African region. And during your recent trip to East Africa, uh, you made a special effort to highlight the need for better urban planning. I think you actually wrote an article uh, that was published in Forbes Africa. How do you, would you compare Nigeria's capital to, let's say, Kenya's capital to, to Nairobi? Well, that's a very good question. In Nairobi, I spent one day struck for seven hours in traffic and, and four, only foreign meetings. And I couldn't help but notice what a negative impact that had on productivity, on health and the economy. And Nairobi is growing, and that growth is not planned and totally chaotic. However, I was very positively surprised about Lagos. I may have been lucky, or I may have just scheduled my meetings in a way that kept me out of rush hour, but I was, it, it was much better than expected. Generally, I think um, the Lagos state government enjoys quite a good reputation, and I could see that um, it is doing a, a great effort in improving the quality of life of Lagosians. So the city is relatively peaceful and green, and the traffic police tries to bring order into chaos. Um, and just to give you a little anecdote here, it's, it's really visible what the government is doing to try and keep the city clean. Uh, someone told me that the government has introduced a type of cleaning curfew that is cli- called Sanitation Day. So one Saturday a month, no one is allowed to leave their house before 10 a.m. because they are expected to clean up and make order. Someone told me that um, an, an expert friend of theirs left his flat, flat during, during sanitation day uh, at, the, at the hours before 10 a.m., and the police actually stopped him and ordered him to go back home and clean. So and even though this may be funny, at, at, when it comes all together, you really notice a difference in the city. And I think the government is doing a good, good job there. Well, I think that's uh, if there's one takeaway from this podcast, I'm going to take to my my home is is to put the uh, the sanitation day and the Saturday morning 10 a.m. curfew in place. So, thanks for sharing that. And I think we're up against time. I, I really appreciate you sharing these uh, amazing insights. Just maybe one final question. I know you've got a, a very active research agenda from now until the balance of the year, and I thought maybe you could talk about that quickly for us so we know what to expect. Sure. We have a lot of pieces coming out on West Africa. So the first one was already out yesterday, the Market Spotlight on Ghana, which is available on the portal. We are also about to release some insights for companies in light of the current Ebola risk. We will then publish a series of reports that will outline the best operational structure companies can implement in West Africa. And this will also include a regional overview on the region, and which puts all the countries into perspective. So a lot of things coming up, really. Excellent. I look forward to uh, diving into those in more detail with you in subsequent podcasts and really appreciate your time today. As a reminder, you can speak to Anna or any member of the FSG research team at any time by scheduling time via your FSG client relationship director. And you can also access all of our sub-Saharan research and data and all of the FSG content on our portal on portal.frontierstrategygroup.com. 
This concludes our podcast. We wish you great outperformance across your emerging market portfolio.